so many people have this idea of like, I'm supposed to know what my passion is. No, 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 no. You're supposed to go out and discover your passion. Hmm. You'll find it as you move through life, not by just sitting still. So go out and experience life. If I could give you one message that could dramatically shift the direction of your life, I would tell you to visualize a world in which there was no judgment for the decisions you've made in the past, in which you weren't paralyzed by fear and you could make decisions that were in alignment with the life you desire to live. One in which you could speak only the truth of what exists on your heart. I would tell you to look at the life you're living now and reflect deeply on what you really wish could change. And then have you look down at the life you just created and the life you're living now. And I'd get real close and I'd look you in the eye. That type of look that says, this is too important to let pass. Your life is too important to let pass. And I'd lean in and with your full attention on me, and those two life paths, I'd say, you choose. Welcome to the You Choose podcast. I'm your host, Billy Garson Jr. I'm a former division one and professional athlete turned men's mental health advocate. I'm a transformation coach, public speaker, and I'm the proud founder of the You Choose movement, which exists to equip young men with the tools and techniques to choose a life that is in alignment with their highest self. It is my greatest honor and privilege to be with you today. The young man who is in a period of great transition in his life, who's asking questions and seeking answers. And on this podcast, through a series of interviews with professional athletes, men's coaches, and self-help gurus, we aim to educate, equip, and inspire you to bridge the gap between where you are and where you aspire to be. So listen deeply and find yourself in the stories of those who've sat in your shoes and now walk in the areas in which you wish to walk. In December of 2015, I realized that I had definitely gone off the deep end. There I was sitting on an air mattress on the floor of my Santa Monica apartment, looking around my newly emptied living room, which used to be full of stuff that I had just given away for free. I spent the day watching people come in and out, taking all of my things, a snowboard, a surfboard, pots, pans, books, paintings, about 75% of everything I owned was gone. The only thing I had left was my girlfriend and our dog. And so with most of our belongings given away and no source of steady income, having just quit our jobs and started new coaching businesses, we left the city that we had called home for the last seven years and we made a choice to be homeless. We decided to let spirit guide us with no clear plan in sight other than the trust that we would wind up exactly where we were supposed to be. Those are the words of our guest today, who just over six years after that day in December of 2015, is an international artist, author, poet, seven-figure coach, motivational speaker, actor, and filmmaker. His most famous piece of art today, a poem entitled, You Are Who You've Been Looking For, has been viewed over 200 million times. And I think I alone have watched it at least 200, to be fair. Adam was listed as one of the top 33 game changers to watch in 2019 by Goldcast. He's been paid a million dollars for one coaching contract, has traveled the world speaking and creating magic in his own life as well as the lives of many others. And at the core of it all, Adam is a servant to humanity, 
breathing life into the hearts and souls of people across the globe and supporting men and women in connecting to their most authentic selves and finding out who they truly are. So I could go on and on about this incredible man, but instead I'm gonna invite you to listen closely and again, find yourself in this conversation as we take a deep dive into what it takes to unleash your best self. So without further ado, Adam Rower, welcome to the YouTube's podcast. It's an honor to have you here. Wow, Billy, thank you. That, that was one of the best intros I think I've ever gotten. Maybe the best one. And uh, <laughs> that, that, wow, I feel deeply touched and honored to be here and be a part of the YouTube's community and, and yeah, have this conversation with you. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. Incredible, Adam. Well, you've done so much in this world and I'm excited for this conversation. And I think where I would love to begin is a period where so many men are right now and you were not too long ago, about six years ago, that moment in December of 2015 where you're in a period of transition. And I know you've written about it. I know you've talked about it, but I would love to hear from your perspective, what was going through your mind in that moment? Because that decision must have been tough and it must have been easier to sit in the comfort of where you were than to make such a courageous decision. And so if you would, I'd love to hear from your perspective, that moment in your life and, and how that played out. Yeah. Wow. You're bringing me back. <laughs> You're bringing me back. Uh, Cause that's seven years ago now. Um, and essentially I went through a spiritual awakening in 2013 and that happened uh, through two consecutive nights of ayahuasca. And for those people who are not familiar with ayahuasca, it is a plant medicine used, originated in South America, used by indigenous cultures for shamanic healing. And mm. uh, you drink this brew, um, which typically has three ingredients, which is ayahuasca, chacruna, and water. And the brew itself then leads into uh, a psychedelic experience that is for me, I was always someone who needed to logically understand everything. And I was very successful in the early stages of my life, with like the high school, you know, by the time I graduated high school, I had uh, gotten an academic scholarship to college, straight A's all through high school. I got one B, I'll be honest, I got one B my <laughs> senior year, other than that, straight A's, varsity in multiple sports, presidents of clubs, I won homecoming king, all of these things. Mm. And so I thought I had life figured out. And um, I went through one of the most difficult years of my life, the most difficult at that stage uh, in 2012. Everything was being taken from me, my physical health. I had uh, car accidents. I needed two surgeries. I had um, my, my financial situation. I got into a bad contract with an act. I was an actor in Los Angeles. I got into a bad acting contract. He made me print out my bank account statement and give him every dollar I had to get out of the contract. Um, wow. Just all of these things that I had associated some level of safety or identity with, I uh, were being taken from me, my physical health, my, my financial well-being, et cetera, et cetera. And so out of pure desperation, I wound up in an ayahuasca ceremony in 2013, uh, January, 2013 and Friday night and Saturday night. And I went from being someone who, if you couldn't prove it with science, I didn't believe in it. Uh, I didn't have a connection to God, even though I was raised Catholic and I had tried to find God through religion. It just didn't work for me in that way. And yet after those ayahuasca ceremonies, my life completely changed. I, I was suddenly a believer. I had an awakening. And, and I, I think it's an overused term in terms of a spiritual awakening. However, it's you don't know you're asleep until you wake up. 
Mm. And that's what it felt like. It felt like I suddenly had woken up from this dream haze I'd been in. And I wasn't a different person at the core of me. And so that high achiever aspect of who I'd been, I just now applied it to spirituality. Mm. I said, wait, you manifestation, energy, energy, like how do I be the best spiritual person ever? And I just... <laughs> became a student of, of spirituality and esoterics. And I hired uh, my own coach one-on-one and started studying and going to retreats and workshops and reading books and listening, watching YouTube videos. And the that journey from 2013 to 2015 was one of just unrelenting, almost neurotic study of spirituality and and personal development and it took the humbling of myself of 2012 to go maybe i don't have this figured out i thought i did i thought i had life figured out i was winning and i maybe i don't and so that humility that that crack in the armor that's that saying you know the mm-hmm. the the cracks are where the light gets in And so that crack in the armor allowed the light in. And once the light hit me, I was a changed person. And I I just spent the next two years in a deep study. And then in 2015, it was suddenly such a strong feeling that it was time to go. Mm -hmm. It was time to leave. And at that point, I had been in a relationship for... Ooh, let's see. I, I want to say that we had been in a relationship for maybe four or five years. We ultimately wound up being in a relationship for 10. So uh, at that four or five year mark, we had developed a relationship to our intuition, to being guided by spirit or God or source, whatever you want to call it. And we just knew it was time. And this was the first big leap that we were being asked to do, which was leave behind the safety of what we had built up until that point, leave behind everything we had known, our friends, our, our things, and surrender into the flow. Yeah. Because here's the thing about surrender. A lot of people think of surrender from war, like you're giving up as if it's a passive thing. I'm just laying down, I'm surrendering. Surrender is an active, uh, it's an action. The action of surrender is simultaneously an action of saying, I trust in something I can't see. In the context of what we're talking about, when you say, yeah, I surrender to spirit, I surrender to God, I surrender to um, the the flow of the universe, you're actually saying, I trust you. I trust God. I trust the flow. I trust something I can't see, which another word for that is faith. Yeah. And so when it, it was our first real, in my opinion, our first big test of faith. Yeah. And since that moment in 2015, I've been faced with a lot of those tests of faith. And I always choose to trust. Therefore, I always choose to surrender more deeply. And everything that you said at the beginning of this podcast around my intro and the things that have happened have come from my willingness to surrender and trust more deeply. Wow. Was there a moment for you? I feel like we're, we're all waiting for this moment where it's like, we're being asked, you know, and it's just, it's shown to us that we've got to take this big leap. And that moment never seems to come so distinctly without that level of faith or without that level of trust. 
Was there a specific moment for you that you look back on outside of the ceremony where you were like, I just know? Well, yeah, I think that, you know, moving out to Los Angeles after college to pursue an acting career was one of the, one of the big ones I had. So at 18 years old, when I, when I entered high school at what you enter high school at like 13, yeah, I was five feet tall and I weighed 73 pounds. <laughs> and that was my wow. freshman year of my freshman year of high school. And so I basically, and my dad is five, five and my mom is five foot tall and my dad's from the Philippines. And so I just basically thought to myself, Oh no, I am going to be five feet foot three and I'm going to, to be this tiny little half Asian kid know that, that girls don't look at through the lens of masculinity. Wow. Uh, and so I'm going to need to become successful. I'm, I'm going to get rich. Because I, <laughs> I'm, I was four foot 11 and, and 83 pounds or something freshman year. So that's my story as well. So I'm so excited to hear this, but continue. Yeah, man. And, and I, I did all the things that they told me I couldn't. I joined the freshman football team. They didn't even have pads that really fit me. We had to find ways to like <laughs> stuff the helmet. Uh, I wrestled. The lowest weight class was 103 pounds. I was 73. So imagine 30 pounds giving that up to, to people. I got hurt a lot in wrestling that first year. Um, I ultimately went on to become a, a member of the Arizona national team my junior year. So like I always had this chip on my shoulder and I just went, I'm not the physical guy. So I'm going to have to be the mental guy. I'm going to have to just be successful and I'm very smart. So I'm going to lean into that. Luckily I did hit puberty, you know, later than everyone else, but I did hit it. And my mom will tell you that I grew, I'm almost six feet tall. And, uh, my mom will say it was sheer willpower. <laughs> uh, and the, the thing was that if as a kid, and maybe you can relate to this as someone five feet tall, 73 pounds, the height of high school, the like mountaintop was imagine if I was voted the homecoming king. Hmm. Imagine, imagine if that, if I, if I won that high school popularity contest, that's what all the movies say mean that not only will all the girls at school want to date me, but basically when I go over to their house, all their hot moms are going to want to have sex with me too. <laughs> right. So that's how this works. So I, um, yeah, I, found out how to play the game of high school and the essentially that led to me having that list. Like I told you at the end of high school, I checked every box, mm. academics, sports, popularity. I won homecoming King. And the morning after I woke up after winning homecoming King, I looked over at that crown that they give you at, next to me. And I just went, I, nothing has changed. Absolutely. Nothing has changed. I'm still insecure. I'm still angry. I'm still sad. I'm still like, what's going on here. And uh, the scary part was I didn't have a mountaintop anymore that I thought would change it all. Because up until that point, I thought winning Homecoming King would mean everything changes. Mm. And to not have that anymore and for me to go, I don't have another mountaintop. What is the next thing? Yeah. And it, it shifted something in me. And I started questioning this narrative that you need to go to college, get a career, get a job, get married, have kids, get, you know, the, the labradoodle and the white picket fence and all of that stuff. I, I didn't 
know that that was true anymore because I did everything they told me to at the highest level in high school and it didn't bring me happiness. So I started to, that was the first shift into my own journey around what would make me happy. And that ultimately led me to, in college, start taking acting classes. And when I was a kid, I used to act in high school, in uh, like junior high school plays and elementary school plays. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. But when I got to high school, at that time, I graduated high school in 2003. So in high school at the time, the most popular show really was like that 70s show. Yeah. It was like the most popular show on TV. And the movie stars of that time were Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise mm-hmm. and Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> and basically like you look more like Leonardo DiCaprio. But for me, <laughs> I, I legitimately you. looked around. I looked around and I said, no, there's no, like people that look like me aren't actors. We're not mm-hmm. movie stars. And so I gave up on the idea of, of becoming an actor. And I, and I, um, but when I went back to college and remember I'd, I'd grown now, I'd hit puberty. And, yeah. and, and I also had this awareness that what was the last thing that made me happy that I could remember? And it was acting. And so I got into, I started taking some acting classes in college and I fell in love with it again. And there's more to this because it really saved my life because I was so emotionally shut down that acting was the only safe space for me to actually get in touch with my emotions. Yeah. But then I, um, I started acting and at a certain point I realized this is, this is the only thing that, that I really want to do. It's the thing that makes me happy. And therefore I made the decision to leave I had a job offer. I had all my friends, my family, where I'd grown up, all of them planned on staying there in Arizona. Uh, and I graduated from Arizona State University. I actually quit my job at an advertising agency because I thought I wanted to work in an ad agency and own my own ad agency. I quit my job there. I started working as a, a waiter so that I could get experience as a waiter so that after the summer I could move to Los Angeles, pursue an acting career and get it and be a waiter um, <laughs> while I did that. And I wanted experience so I could get a better waiter. So you could see the mindset. I was still a planner. I was still like that, but yeah. essentially that decision was the first decision that I think I'd ever made where I said, I'm following my heart. I'm following the part of me that it doesn't make sense. And I'm really scared because I know how hard becoming an actor or something like that would be. And I'm really scared, but I need to do this for myself. Mm -hmm. And that choice was the only, like that was the first one. And I'm proud of that choice because there, there wasn't, it was such a huge act of self-love. It was a, such a huge statement that I'm going to listen to the calling of my heart. And that was the only choice that I can think of now that really I made of that magnitude until the one that we were talking about earlier in 2015, when we left everything behind to, yeah. to go on the road, because we were also leaving our acting careers. We met an acting class. Yeah. To go and do that was putting a pause on also the acting for a minute. How tough was that initial decision? We have the biggest thing that I believe and I preach within the YouTube community and, and has been huge in the shifts in, in my life and early career as, a, as an entrepreneur and, and after leaving only recently a professional career as a, as a soccer player the biggest thing that I preach that shifts everything is that first choice to choose courage over fear. 
not the absence, but to choose it regardless. And so I, I want to really hone in on this and get your perspective on it because I feel like for a long time in my life, I was trying to rid of fear before I chose anything that was in alignment with my heart, that was in alignment with the life I wanted to live. And there's so many people, so many young men right now who are sat with this fear of choosing, this fear of choosing themselves. And they're waiting for that fear to disappear before they make a decision. And I want to hear your perspective on when fear arises, what do you do? And how tough was that decision for you in that moment? It was a very tough decision. And I can see, look back and see, you know, that I would have conversations with some of my best friends and I would ask them, I say, usually we'd have a few drinks, you know, I was 21, 22. And uh, in college. So it would be one of those drunken sort of end of night <laughs> moments. And I'd say, Hey bro, like, do you think I'm going to make it? Do you think that I'm like, do you believe in me? Do you, cause becoming a famous actor, that's, that's pretty much, I can't think of anything more difficult. I can't think of anything more, more rare yeah. I can't, out of everyone who tries their hand at acting. I don't, how many famous actors do we really have? Mm -hmm. And do you believe it? And so I could see, I remember doing that with all these different friends. I remember, um, I tattoo, I got this tattoo uh, on my arm, which is in Tagalog, which is, you know, the language of the Philippines for my, my father speaks. I don't speak it, but it means a lot to me, my culture there. And it says, your dreams must be bigger than your fears. And it's the first tattoo that I ever got because I actually got that in a fortune cookie. When I was in this time wow. where I was thinking about moving out to LA and leaving it all behind and I was scared, I got a fortune cookie that said, your dreams must be bigger than your fears. And I taped it to my computer screen and I just looked at it every single day. Mm. And so, yeah, I can see all the signs of just how scared I was. But the thing is, you can't, be brave if you don't feel fear. Being fearless is not being brave. Those are not the same thing. Being fearless, then taking the action because you don't have any fear is just being normal. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, do you know what I mean? There's, there's actually nothing courageous about it at all. Yeah. In order to be brave, it's because you've chosen to do something that you are afraid of. That's the, that's the definition of courage. Yeah. And so I don't look up to people who are fearless. Anyone who's fearless, I don't look up to you because that's not something for me that I think you should aspire to. Just like I don't look up to people who who wake up and and like get out of bed. That's that is something that doesn't require um that what I look up to is the person who has Lyme disease or mm. intense depression who actually is terrified of getting out of their bed and facing the day and yet still does it. That is more inspiring to me than the person who doesn't fear getting out of bed and gets out of bed. Getting mm. out of bed doesn't matter. Yeah. Jumping off of a cliff doesn't matter. Moving out to LA doesn't matter. Mm. What matters is how you respond in the face of your deepest fears. Yeah. And so, yeah, I 100% had those fears and I see them in hindsight. And I faced those by being as prepared as I possibly could 
So I hired an acting coach that I worked with every week, one-on-one. I literally took extra shifts at my work in order to pay for private acting coaching. I took as many acting classes as I could in college. Um, I studied my ass off. I quit my ad agency job to work as a waiter so that I could make sure that I was, I would get a better waiter job when I was in, in LA. Like I did everything I could to prepare myself and I advise people get as prepared as you can, because when you're as prepared as you, as you feel you can be, you will have a level of confidence that will help you face that fear. Mm. But ultimately the decision to move through the fear is something that you either choose to make or not. You choose to make or not. So many of us choose not. We choose not to. And then we're presented with that choice again. And we choose not to. And we choose not to. And we choose not to. And I love in the alchemist, they say eventually your your heart's desire, your heart will just go quiet and it'll stop speaking to you. Do you think there's a point where that happens? I mean, I'm not one to argue with the alchemist. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great <laughs> book. But I think that there was a friend of mine who was one of the most successful young CEO people. I mean, he was, uh, his name was Malcolm. He was incredible and very successful. And one of my mentors actually went on a trip with him. And Malcolm was basically, it was his, I think it was a trip for his 50th birthday. And my mentor was 70 years old and they had a conversation and Malcolm said to my mentor, you know, it's the strangest thing for my entire life. I have always known what was next. I've always had my next goal. I've always had my next vision to know what I was working towards or shooting for. And this is the first time in my life that I don't actually know what's next. I don't actually have a goal. I don't have a vision. I don't have anything that feels like it's calling me. That night, Malcolm died in his sleep at 50 years old. And my mentor was really shaken by this because he's, you know, 20 years old. He's in his 70s. And he shared that story with me and it really made me think our desires, you say, you know, the heart will stop speaking. I don't know that that's true because what happens when it does? What I, there, there's, you know, I don't know if, I think it's Buddhist philosophy that says the the desire is the root of all suffering. Um, But we desire all day long. I desire to take a drink when I'm thirsty. I desire to go to the bathroom when I need to pee. I desire to eat when I'm hungry. Those are all desires. Yeah. And we can get into the semantics of it, but the truth is our desires are our our GPS. The question that I really sit with more than whether or not I'll continue to have desires is where are those desires stemming from? Meaning I want to be, I want to be a millionaire. Okay. Why? Or Mm. I want to get married to a really hot woman. Okay. But why? Mm. 
Like, where are those sorts of desires coming from? Why do you want the, the fancy car? Why do you want to, to live in a, a giant mansion? Like, why do you want those things? Yeah. And if they're coming from an authentic place, because by the way, a lot of those things that I just listed, I have and do, you know, yeah. Yeah. like I've, I've made the million dollars. I've, I've had, I have beautiful women in my life. I'm single right now, which means I probably have more of them now than I, <laughs> than I did for most of my life. And like, with all of those things, where is that coming from? Why do I want those things? The truth is why I want the money is because what I do with it helps so many people. Hmm. My money goes into creating my online community, the create community, the create community.com for people who are interested or putting out my podcast and producing it. My, my money goes into uh, making poetry pieces that I put out on the internet. My money went in and bought my parents a house. I don't even own a house. My parents, my parents live in it. Like I do so much good with my money that if I get more of it, there's not a doubt in my mind that I'm just going to do more good with it. So that's what drives me to, to want more money in my life. Mm. And that, that can be applied to anything, anything at all. And so I think that desires are healthy. I think desires actually are telling us which direction to move And we just get to understand whether those desires are coming from a place where when we actualize those, it's for the greater good and for the good of our soul's evolution, or if it's all egoic and, and just, you know, part of our, um, mind monkey mind wanting things or, or societal conditioning or any other aspect like that. Wow. You, you touched on the, like questioning, why you want things. And I think there's one step prior to that, which so many people are in right now, which I want to touch on, which is before they are asking why they want things, it is knowing what they actually want and distinguishing the voices, right? For you, do I want to go into this ad agency? You know, do I want to really be a waiter and then be a be an actor? And so many people are getting clouded right now because their voices are becoming so mixed, the voices of everybody else and their own voice. How have you learned or how did you learn to separate those voices and really find, maybe you're going to say the the ceremonies you've sat in, but I'd love to hear from your perspective how you found the ability to separate those voices when there are so many in your life. There's a great book on this called The Untethered Soul. Michael Singer uh, Michael Singer uh, wrote a book, The Untethered Soul, for anyone listening to that. It was, it was a, a pretty transformative book for me uh, early in my journey. I haven't read it in many years, so, um, but it happened and continues to happen, but it started happening, what I told you, in, in um, 2013 after my awakening, I started to listen in a different way because God is always speaking to us. And again, yeah. you can replace God with, Allah or source or the divine, whatever you want, your higher self. Like God is always talking to us. It's whether or not we've learned how to listen. That's, that's really it. The, so the thing for me is I've gotten better at listening over the years. And that process is one of developing an understanding of how God communicates to you and also developing your sensitivity 
to the nuances of your body. So God and your higher self, your intuition communicates to you through your body. It's through your body. That's why you say the gut instinct. Mm. Gut instinct is another way of saying intuition. Yeah. It's, it's what is that? So it's always the feeling in your body is how it's going to be communicated to you. It's very rare to have like the voice in your head. Yeah. Like that, that's not necessarily, I've only had a few instances in my life where it felt like someone was talking to me. I was like, what, what is that? that? But most of the time it's a feeling and your intuition, everyone has it, but it's also a skill that you can develop. Mm. So when you say my intuition, how do I get better at, at knowing what is my intuition? Well, you practice just like anything else, you practice. And one of the things that I do with my clients, because I still occasionally work with people one-on-one, one of the things that I'll have them do is work through their intuition in small small decisions. So where do you want to go to eat for dinner? Mm-hmm. Have Usually it's repetitive from what where you know. That's the, usually. Yeah. Um, and beyond that, it's oftentimes uh, a logical decision. Like this is closer or we just had that or whatever. But what would it look like to say, I'm going to pick three restaurants I haven't been to before and I'm going to feel my way into each of those. And the one that feels more energy in my system, the one that feels more alive, the one that feels more expansive, that's the one that I'm going to go to without questioning it. And start with something like that. Start with those little tiny, seemingly mundane choices and start to develop your relationship to your body's wisdom. That's over time develops into being able to capture the tiniest little nuances where now in a conversation, I go, Ooh, that's interesting. What is that feeling? And I've started to identify those little things. And because my sensitivity to it has gotten so um, nuanced, it might, it's just a deeper relationship to my intuition. And is there always, do you always trust that? Do I always trust that? Um, yes, I, I'm, I'm trying to make sure I understand the question. Do I always trust? Yeah, that? I'll elaborate a little bit. I think yeah. I, I, I saw a, an incredible energy healer a couple of years ago and she, she looked at me and she said, we were in the middle of a group session, she said, you're, she was from Scotland, she said, you're my wee light, stay, stay after this session, right? And I stayed and I started speaking to her. And this was a time in my life where I was incredibly in my head. I... I I move with emotion, but my analytical brain often gets in the way. And she said to me, she looked at me and she, all she said was, go with the first feeling. Go with the first feeling. And I've moved for the past two years through my life with just going with the first feeling. And so my question really is, is that first feeling, how do we know that that's always the correct feeling? Is it more curiosity or again, is it back to faith and trust? Well, let me ask you, have, has your life gotten better since you started doing that? Radically. Okay. Mine too. <laughs> Mine Radically too. improved, yeah. Mine too. And so that's what I can speak to. I'm not here to tell anyone to do that or not do that. What I am here to say is you got two people talking on a podcast whose lives have radically improved by following their, that first feeling, that 
instinctual gut instinct. There's a lot around like human, I don't know if you know your human design, but also human design as a generator. I'm a generator. So it's yeah. with a sacral authority, which really means I'm supposed to go with mm-mm or mm-hmm, just like a guttural, ooh, I'm a yes. Or if it's not a yes, it's a no. Yeah. And one of the things that, that, today's a great example. We were driving back. It was like two hour drive and I was tired and I was trying to meet up with someone on the way down um, because they wanted me to view this land project. And it's someone who I want to network with and I, and I, I do value and I don't get to see that often, but yeah. they, they said, well, they don't have um, like, it would have to be at this time and I got have a call and it wasn't working just right. And we had this podcast scheduled and mm. I went, okay, I could message Billy and possibly move the podcast. And I went, no, we, I don't want to do that either. And I just stopped and I went, it's not a yes. I don't have a better alternative. I don't actually, I'm not sitting here going, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm going to do this instead. I just know that it's not a yes to go. Mm. And if it's not a yes, it's a no is another way of navigating because a lot of times people get stuck trying to, they get stuck not making a decision because they're looking for the yes. And they think the yes is going to be like, yeah, here I go. Yeah. Maybe it's all a no. And the yes is just to not do any of it. Maybe the, maybe the yes is, wow, I'm not really excited about going to this, these three parties. I'm not excited mm. about going and hanging out with this person. So maybe that just means don't do any of it and yeah. just be home. And I think beyond the yes, they're also looking for the reasons for it to be no. Mm. When sometimes it's just no. No, yeah. I don't want to follow the career mom and dad that you've wanted for me. And I don't have a reason. I just don't want it. My heart's telling me no. No, I don't want to go out and party. Why? I haven't figured out a reason because normally I do, but <laughs> I just don't want it. And I feel like people make so many decisions that are no's, but they say yes because they haven't found a reason for the no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, there's a really great saying that I learned at uh, my sex camp that I went to that yeah. we talked about my, yeah. my ISTA, ISTA training, uh, Tantra retreat. And it is that no is a complete sentence. That and that really stuck with I me. Love that. You don't have to you don't have to explain anything beyond that. You don't it, there's nothing additional that needs to be figured out. No is a complete sentence. And if it's not a yes, it's a no. Great. Mm. One of the biggest things that slows down the growth of people on their personal development paths and getting to the place of, of deepest expansion and living their dreams and everything is that they feel like they need to understand everything along the way. You will understand so much more of it in hindsight, hmm. but that's like tr me showing you a, a trigonometry, uh, like showing a trigonometry equation to a third grader. The third grader hasn't learned the necessary ingredients to even be able to understand what's being asked. Hmm. So, for those of us on this journey as a soul, you're, you could be 30 years old, you could be 25 years old, you may not actually learn the, the trigonometry in this example until you're 35. Yeah. So if you spend 25 to 35 not moving forward until you understand it, you've wasted 10 years of your life. Instead, mm. just accept, you know what? I don't need to know. 
I just am making my decision based on what's a yes in my system. And, and if it's not a yes, it's a no, and I'm moving forward. And at some point in time, you'll probably be able to look back at that and you'll understand why in mm. hindsight. And I think the fear of saying no and the fear of these, it's like we try to explain everything because we want people to understand. Almost like we're looking for people to validate and give us permission for us to say no. Okay, why don't you want to go? Why don't you want to... Because this, 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 okay, that's acceptable. Okay, that's acceptable. And it almost seems like it comes, that willingness to just say no and leave it at that comes with also a willingness to accept that you're gonna piss people off. And you're gonna, a, a coach of mine, a mentor of mine, Juvan Langford, who's been in my life for the past couple of years now, he said to me, he said, when you commit to a journey like this, you're gonna move through people fast, faster than almost anything. And it seems like we forget, and those two go hand in hand, like the ability to say no, and also the ability to accept that you're not going to be able to please everybody all the time. Mm -hmm. 100%. I don't have a single friend now that I had prior to my spiritual awakening. All Every friend that I had pre-2013 is no longer in my life. Not even by like a choice, like I want to cut them wow. out. It just, I went down a different path and a different road. And was there a gap there for you? What do you mean by a gap? You left all of these people, you had this spiritual awakening and now you are m moving into a new space, right? As Brene Brown calls it, I've used this many a time, braving the wilderness. You're like in that gap, right? Was there a gap for you where you were just lonely? Yeah, I, there's been those, but not as much because I was in partnership. I was in a divine union. I was, mm. I had my girlfriend of 10 years. So when we went on that journey, we went on it together. We both were having a spiritual awakening at the same time, which we were really blessed because most people don't have that experience. Most people in relationship, it's one or the other. Yeah. And it usually ends the relationship um, because one of them's like, oh, I'm not, I don't need... I, I want to go this way. And the person's not, other person's like, no, I don't want to go that way. I don't want to yeah. do that. And, and so, but we actually grew together and it was a very special time. And so while I did lose most of my friends, I also had my best friend right there beside me. And so we became inseparable as like a unit. And then over time, once we'd broken up, four years ago. And I started to, for the, since, cause we broke up at 30, I was 33 years old and we'd met, I was basically, I was 23. It was it almost, almost 10 years. So yeah. at 33 years old, all of a sudden now I was really experiencing loneliness for the first time. Hmm. That was my first time really experiencing what it felt like to feel lonely. As weird as that is. I mean, I remember feeling lonely when I was younger, but the first time really in my adult life to feel lonely. Mm. I went, I went basically 10 years, not feeling that feeling. Wow. And so um, that gap. Yeah. I think that I, I I've experienced that gap more in the last couple of years because I'm so focused on my visions. I'm so focused on my goals. I work really hard at, at doing all of the different things that I'm involved in. Yeah. And um, sometimes it's, it can feel very lonely to, to be so devoted to something that 
you feel like other people can't see. I feel, I feel as if it's my vision and I'm doing it this way. And I'm having, in order to do that, I'm having to face off with all these parts of myself. And I don't think that people really get it. And that feeling is one of the hardest aspects of being an entrepreneur and a visionary is knowing that no one will ever actually get what you're going through and your dream and what it's taking for you to actually create it. All the late nights, all the like going out to a restaurant by yourself, all of the um, working and studying and trying things and failing, all of the times you freaked out about money because it's not working yet. (laughs) All of those things can, entrepreneurs, we can relate to it, but but you go through that journey by yourself for the most part. Yeah. And what is that for you that has been, what have you found to work for you in that loneliness and in that misunderstanding from the world and just the acceptance of the fact that people aren't going to understand and that's okay. Like what have you found to be keys in your, in that growth journey for you? It's important for you to find the community that holds you. It's why I started my own, to be honest, is, is I know how important it is. Mm. Truthfully, I'm blessed to have some of the most amazing friends on the planet and friends that not are just amazing to me, but are friends who are doing some of the biggest, most epic stuff on the planet. They're changing lives, massive influencers, coaches, entrepreneurs, just incredible humans doing incredible things. And I can, at this point in time, there's probably at least 15 people that I could call right now that I could say, I really need your help. That would loan me money, that would fly to meet me somewhere, that would like really show up for me. Mm -hmm. And having that, having just a a real community, that for me changed everything. And that's why I, I think community is one of the most important things that you could possibly do and, yeah. I, and, and get and create and, and, and really prioritize curating in your life. And then beyond that, becoming comfortable being alone, actually being happy by yourself. And there seem like two opposite things. And yet, they they are they are on other ends of the spectrum and that's why to have a balanced life you need to be comfortable in both of those mm. it's important for you to have those people when it's really hard that you can come to and lean on and and will support you to know how to ask for help that's mm. important and it's also really important for you not to need that yeah. and for you to know so for you to know that you're there to pick yourself up off the ground when you fall, that you're there on a day where you're feeling super lonely, that you know how to like run yourself a bath and put mm. on some music and dance around and whatever. And when you know that you can handle that, as opposed to a lot of people, by the way, who the idea of being alone, if they had to be alone by themselves for five days, would just be drinking or smoking or masturbating to pornography or just watch binge smoking weed and watching Netflix all Which day all long. of those aren't really alone, are they? That's that's distractions from being alone. 
right? right? That's distracting the mind from being alone. And you seem like you've become, I love this topic because you seem like you've become great at what I call like you're dating, dating yourself, understanding mm-hmm. yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And I know you talk a lot about journaling. I've listened to your podcasts on, on journaling and your prompts and all of these things. Is there anything else that you found that has been incredible for you to be able to sit in the loneliness? Yeah. Um, it's funny because you said dating yourself. I have a video co- course on my website called Five Days of Dating Yourself. I love <laughs> um, Where literally I give five, five um, tips and exercises, five days that you go through to start dating yourself. Because mm-hmm. self-love is such a hot topic these days. Everyone talks about self-love. Yeah. Well, what is self-love? What does that even mean? That's my poem that went viral. It's like massages and selfies and that sort of thing. Like what is self-love? Self-love is the byproduct of your relationship with yourself. So just like your relationship with anyone else, if you're going to love someone, you're going to spend quality time with them. You're going to have probably physical affection right? The five love languages, physical touch, gifts, acts of service, like all of these pieces, words of affirmation. Are you going to really love some fallen, fall in love with someone that talks down to you all the time, calls you names. So when we look at it through that lens, what is the relationship you have with yourself? And if you want to know how to love yourself more, start doing the things in your relationship with yourself that you would fall in love with someone else for doing speaking to yourself nicely, giving yourself a massage, like actually literally touching your body. And like, yes, that you could go into self-pleasure from a, a different point vantage point than, than what most uh, people use pornography for on this planet. Yeah. And there's just so many ways. And so for me to get comfortable being by myself looked like showing up in love for myself. And I, I was going through depression really deeply. And this is the time where I had to do it more than ever before. And I made an agreement with myself at one point because it was so bad. And I just believed uh, that I was, I didn't want, I stopped taking one-on-one clients. I didn't, uh, I stopped putting out content nearly as much as I had been. I basically felt like I didn't want to put any energy out into the world because I felt like my energy was toxic. I was in such a deep state of depression. And so I made this commitment to myself. I said, when I wake up in the morning, I am not going to turn on my phone or open my computer or engage with the external world until I've elevated myself out of that toxic mindset and energy. So I I felt like I was creating from a better space. And there were many days where that looked like four hours of self-love practices. Self-love practices like telling myself I love myself in the mirror, taking baths, sitting in the sauna, exercising, dancing, journaling, meditating, like uh, crying, screaming, punching pillows. I did so many different things. But my commitment was you're going to do them until you shift your, you truly shift out of this and then you can open your phone. Then you can respond to text messages. And some days it was just an hour. Some days it needed four. But I did that every single day. And it was only through that that I really learned that the the thing that shifted for me was the realization that I would show up for myself. 
I was proving to myself, I will show up for me mm-hmm. every single day, no matter what it takes. And that caused me to love myself. Wow. And that opened up a whole new relationship with myself where now there's so many days, man, where I'll be around a bunch of people. and like, I want to go home and be by myself. <laughs> I love being by myself. I love it. I love it. It's almost like you took, you took it to such a stage where it was like, in your mind, it became, this is life or death. And because of that, it's number one priority. Nothing else takes over until I am in a place where I can be not only content, but so deeply in love with myself that that is what I reflect on first and foremost, which I suppose takes me into this concept. What was coming up for me and that I got anxiety shifted in me, as you said, as you were saying that you used to sit with yourself for four hours. There's a piece of me that for so long has had a deep desire to want to sit with myself for way longer than I do in meditation, in journaling, in looking, facing myself in the mirror. You know, one of the things that I related heavily to in your poem was where you you talked about yourself. I think you said something about like receding hairline and, and pimple. I relate heavily to that with cystic acne and being small and weak. And there's a piece of me that for so long has been wanting to sit with myself for longer. And the other piece of me that doesn't allow it because of the relationship I have with time. And the fact that I need to go and make money and I need to go and serve. And if I, every moment sitting with myself is taking away from another DM that I could be sending and another piece of networking and another client I could be working with, you know, how have you found that balance? I'm, I'm really curious to know for self and for anybody listening, how have you found the ability where it was like, you know, I'm just going to sit with myself for longer and as long as it takes. Well, I mean, at that time it was desperation. It was pure desperation. I, I was, uh, I hadn't hit that point of being what I would call suicidal yet, but I mean, it was borderline. It was, it was super dark. And I realized I would get, and by the way, at that time I was a millionaire. You know, I was, I, I had my poem go viral. I had a social media following. I had all of these things. And I was, in a space where I realized none of it matters if you're not happy. It legitimately, it's, it's so cliche almost, you know, how many people, how many, how many millionaires and famous people need to tell us this, but, and, and we still just don't really get it. Get it yeah. If you're not happy, no amount of money, no amount of fame is going to make you want to keep living. In fact, the reason why people want to keep living to chase more money or more fame is only because they think that more money or more fame will make them happy. So really, chasing fame or money is about chasing happiness. Wow. It's, it's, and the thing is, when, when you don't have happiness, nothing else matters. And so I hit that point and I said, if I'm not I'm going to be happy. And if I'm not happy, it's not worth it. None of it's worth it. What would it take? And I had remembered I'd gone backpacking through Europe when I was 24 years old. And I was with my girlfriend at the time and and we went to Barcelona and we went to this little dive bar and we saw 
these like three bartenders who were obviously friends and we got a picture of sangria and we just watched them and they were all laughing and, and whatever. And I imagined that I created this whole story in my mind that, you know, they have this small studio apartment in Barcelona and they just come and they just work as bartenders and they hang out with their friends. And then afterwards they get off work and they go and they meet up at a little like, you know, restaurant for some tapas and, and a glass of wine. And then they just hang out and it's, it gets simple life. Right. Yeah. And I thought to myself, could I be happy doing that? Could I actually be happy just not needing anything more and, and be a bartender in Barcelona, leave behind everything and just do that. And I thought, I think I could, I think I, I think I could give it all up and just be happy. And that moment was really powerful for me because at the time, you know, I was pursuing an acting career and I had huge visions for my life and thought I needed to accomplish all of those for happiness. And I actually celebrated the part of me that had such big visions and was unwilling to settle for anything less. Basically the part of me that said, I'm going to be like, I will not stop until I accomplish this thing. I celebrated that. There was that mindset where that's what it would take. And I, over the years have really shifted that. And and my question for people now is what, what is your baseline minimum example of what a life you could lead and you think you could really actually be happy? What would that, what would that look like if you got rid of everything that you're doing now and you did the simplest version of life that you could think of where you actually truly believe you would be happy? What would that be? Do you know what that is for yourself, Billy? I don't think I could answer that in this moment. No. Yeah. It's a hard question because we put so much energy and attention into our visions and our dreams and what we think we're creating, especially someone like you that's creating such big things and communities and podcasts and all these things. And if you can figure it out, because what was for me in that moment, the simple, what it was, was the friends what it was, was the friends and also the feeling of like not really having any real responsibility, that freedom from responsibility and having friends to just enjoy each other's company. Those two things were really huge to me. And so what that does is, by the way, I have a ton of responsibilities now. Uh, So, but what it does is it lets me know that if I'm actually feeling unhappy, if there's a part of me that's feeling like something's off here, I can look at those two ingredients that I, I realized in that moment. And I can say, wow, I'm really unhappy right now, which means I need more friendship right now in my life. I need to, I need, I need to go and visit my friends or they visit me or I need to get on FaceTimes, like friends. And then two, there's too much on me. I'm feeling too much pressure. I'm feeling too much responsibility. I'm feeling like there's too much on my plate. Yeah. Because the two things that really I realized I needed to be happy, the simplest version of that were friends and freedom from responsibility. And how have you navigated that relationship with responsibility? It's a, it's a back and forth, you know? I, I, it's, I navigate it the way that I just told you, which is I pay attention to when I feel unhappy 
when I feel consistently like in a state of, like I said, I battled depression. There is no higher really priority for me in my life than not going back into depression. And instead of avoiding it, I, I said it like I was avoiding it, but really it's about living a joyful life. Loving life is my number one priority. And so if what that looks like for me is maybe that means I shut down a, a program I'm running. Maybe that means I let go of my one-on-one -on -one client. Like I actually have two one-on-one -on -one clients right now that I'm ending with because there's just been, there's the visions of what I'm creating with leaders, create leaders and the create community and, you know, my, my group program and the one infinity, all of the things that I'm doing, um, including launching another podcast. I already have the deep dive and now I'm launching another <laughs> podcast called You're Too Much that launches next week. All of these things that I'm doing, I'm so excited about. And I was hitting that point. I was hitting that point where I could feel that familiar feeling of like that depression, unhappiness feeling just early stages. Yeah. And I went, okay, that's a sign. I need to go back to these two things. Mm -hmm. I need my friends. And so I just spent, by the way, I just spent like two weeks in a spot here in Costa Rica with one of my best friends on the planet. And there's something, there's too much feeling of responsibility right now. Something's got to go. And mm -hmm. that looks like my one-on-one -on -one clients, which by the way, pay me really, really well. That's how I've made 90% of my income for the last decade. It's one-on-one -on -one yeah. coaching. And so, but that is how I respond. I pay attention to how I'm feeling. I let my heart tell me, am I like, what is going on in my body? And then I make adjustments based on that. I love that. And I think that's, I'm fascinated by that. And I relate heavily to to that desire to choose you. And it's almost like it, it, for everyone, it needs a priority shift. Like, what are you prioritizing? Are you prioritizing money really over happiness? Or are you prioritizing how you feel over money? And what I would ask you in this moment is, so there's so many people listening who they aren't millionaires, right? And they don't have even six figure incomes. And maybe for a lot of them, they're just coming out of college and don't even have an income, right? So they know they need money, right? To create a life that they want to live. And they're also in this phase where they're, ha they, they're seeking happiness, right? They're seeking happiness. You, I'd assume, I know it's very difficult, but easier in a position financially to be able to say, hey, you guys, one-on-one -on -one clients, I, I can't work with you in this moment, right? If you were to put yourself in a phase for somebody where they need the money and they can also feel themselves sinking, what do you do? First of all, it's important for them to identify what their, what their base level happiness is reliant on, right? Because the money that they need, what is that base level? So what I mean by that is to live in Los Angeles when I was living in Los Angeles yeah. was way more expensive than all, like so many other places that I could live. Why was I living in Los Angeles? Because I was pursuing an acting career. Great. I thought I needed to be in Los Angeles. 
for everyone listening who's like, I have, I need that money for this thing. The first step is evaluating why. Why, why do you need that money? What do you need it for? Great. You need it for your car payment. Awesome. What do you need that car? Can you, can you, is that the car that you need? Can you sell it and get a less expensive car? Do you need to live in the city that you're living? Do you need to buy the things that you're buying? Do you need to, so there's a, there's a first step there. And when I look at someone who's telling me they don't have the money to be able to say something like I said, which is I'm letting this go. Mm-hmm. My first step is you first have to look at where you're spending your money. Where are you spending your money? Because where you spend your money is telling you where your priorities are. And the number of people who told me they don't have money and then they go out to bars and clubs regularly, regularly going out to bars and clubs, that is a huge amount of money that goes there. You know, the, the amount of, there's, there's so many ways in which I think people are disconnected from where their money's actually going. Mm. So that's one. And then from there, if you're actually in a spot where you're running lean, you're, you have your baseline happiness, et cetera, and you legitimately are earning money in a way that you absolutely hate, get another job. I am not someone who's going to sit here and tell you don't work and go live in the forest or, or whatever like that. We get to make money. You get to get yourself out of survival mode. It's very difficult for you to be in a stage of creativity and a consciousness expansion when you are in fight or flight of how you're going to pay your rent and buy your next meal. Mm. That's a difficult thing to do. You get to figure that out. And if you think that you can't get another job from the one that you have, then I believe that you're not actually trying. <laughs> as harsh as that might, as harsh as that might sound, I'm just going to keep it real. Yeah. All you have to do is to go and look at like Gary V's content of the amount of money you can make from garage sales. All you have to do is look at the, the um, work that you can do remotely. Uh, you can, all of the different things that you can do, you can take surveys online and get paid yeah. for that. You can, um, there, you can do, uh, you can train yourself in how to do uh, graphic design. You can train yeah. yourself in how to run a YouTube channel for someone. You can, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. There are so many ways that you can earn money at this stage that if you're telling me you're stuck in a job that you hate and there's nothing you can do about it, I know that you are someone who's actually more in the mindset of believing you're a victim. And therefore, I don't really have the time to sit and convince you not to be a victim. I want the people who are sitting there going, I'm ready to take ownership of my life and say, I'm getting a different job. Can you give me resources on where to look? That's who I'm interested in. That If you are telling yourself that you're stuck in a job and you can't do anything about it, you have a victim mindset and that is the thing that's going to hold you back, not the job. I think that's a lot, that's a lot to digest in beautiful ways. I've sat in those places so many times in my life. 
so many times in my life where, I mean, the You Choose movement is entirely based on reminding people that they have a choice. And we forget we have a choice because we sit and I have sat in many moments in my life in this victim place. I'm stuck and I can't do anything about it because if I change it, it means I'm giving up. Because if I don't do, uh, if I don't follow through, it means I am, that my reputation's ruined. And what are they going to think if I don't do that? And really at the core of it, it all boils down to choosing yourself. Right? Being willing to choose yourself and accept the consequences. Accept the consequences, the beautiful consequences that come, but also the negative ones that come with that as well. Choosing you. And I didn't come from money, just so everyone's clear. I didn't come from money. I, I, I know what it's like to, to feel broke. I know what it's like to, to not know how I'm going to pay my rent. I know what that feeling's like. I know what it feeling's like to have a ton of credit card debt and not seeing a way out of it. Mm-hmm. I know those feelings. I also know what it feels like to have a million dollars in the bank and feel depressed. <laughs> to feel more depressed than when I had no money. To feel more pressure because now I'm paying the salaries of a bunch of people. And if I actually just don't want to do it anymore, they're out of jobs. How are they paying their rent? So the idea that money will solve the problems, absolutely not. And my friend and I disagree on this. He's an incredible human, um, Fujadeus, who's also a coach and whatever. And he says he would rather live in a world where there's either everyone has a bunch of money or no one has money. And we're just in a, like a bartering system. He's like, wow. I, I want it to be a world that works for everyone. And I said, I don't want to live in that world. That's not, that's not the world I want to live in because there's a, bunch, there's a bunch of you probably listening right now that I currently don't want you to have a bunch of money. <laughs> Straight up. Because you have a scarcity mindset. You have a mindset of fear around, around resources and greed and giving you more money is just going to exacerbate the problems that we're already seeing where we have politicians and elitist sort of entrepreneurs coming from wealthy families that don't want other people to have the money because they're in a scarcity mindset and they're, caught, they're creating systems that don't work for everyone. Mm. And so giving a bunch of money to people who have a scarcity mindset and a victim mindset is not going to help this planet at all. It's just going to amplify the scarcity and the victim mindset. What we want to see is the people who are in a state of prosperity, are in a state of abundance, are in a state of seeing the world through the lens of we can make this work for everyone and are willing to put money behind that, Mm. willing to embody that and live that. Those are the people that I want to have millions and millions and millions of dollars. And for you, because I know I've been following your content now for a long while. And I know recently you've been talking a lot about money and your openness to discuss money and I love the concept again. I'm fascinated by the concept of scarcity and abundance, right? And how it's just a shift in here for everything to shift. What do you think sits in the gap between those who are sat in scarcity right now? It's understanding the difference between your worth and your value and making sure that your value is high. And so what I mean by that, when I talk about a prosperity mindset, to me, I believe I have one. There's areas that I still have scarcity. But for the most part, if you were to take every dollar I had, if you were to 
clear out my social media and delete my accounts. I believe you could drop me in some city somewhere. I will make tons of money and I will get myself back. There are, that mindset is because of who I am, what I've proven to myself to be over time, my work ethic, my willingness to study, my willingness to, to figure it out, my willingness to push through that discomfort and the skills that I've developed, the skills that I have as a businessman, as a coach, as an entrepreneur, as a leader, as a facilitator, the amount I've, I've done of work of my own personal development, all of these things so that I now have an incredible amount of value to provide. Now, your worth is inherent. Every person listening to this is inherently worthy of whatever you desire. You are worthy because you are. You are a child of God, and therefore, no one is more worthy than you. You are worthy of being here on this planet. You are worthy of getting all of your dreams met. Now, that doesn't mean they get to be handed to you on a silver platter, but you're worthy of it. Now, whether or not you create enough value to actually receive that is a completely different story. And when you know that you have an incredible amount of value to give to the world, that's an abundance mindset. The knowing that I don't have to have the money in my bank, I know I can make it. Hmm. I don't have to have the business or the social media. I know that I can grow it and get accomplish my dreams anyway. Yeah. I know that and therefore I am in an abundance and prosperity mindset because there's nothing to lose. If I, if I start over, so be it. You know how many eight-figure and nine-figure entrepreneurs and billionaires have had to start over in their lives, have invested it all? You know, Elon Musk almost went bankrupt with Tesla. Like the willingness to go for it. There are so many super wealthy people on this planet that had to start over because what they poured their heart and soul into for years didn't work. Wow. And we don't remember those quote unquote failures. They're just celebrated for the big success. But you don't realize that five companies might have failed. Yeah. So that aspect is so important to shift in that understanding around your value. And are, is your value actually high enough for you to move through the world knowing you're a match to your dreams? Wow. I've never thought about it in that way that, and you, and you just made a beautiful comparison there without actually saying the two words that scarcity is directly correlated with self-belief. Self-belief. And the fact that we don't believe in ourselves is why we sit in this scarcity because we don't think that we could make that money. We don't think we can provide enough value. We don't think that we have enough worth to the world to be able to give should we lose it all and be able to receive back what we've lost. I suppose the question I'd have for you then would be in a world where you did lose everything, in a world where it was stripped of you and you were dropped in a place, what would be the first thing you'd do? My, my honest answer is meditate. <laughs> that was the first thing that popped into my head was just sit for a while because 
granted, if we're talking about, uh, I want to just be practical. If you're talking about like, I'm stripped of everything. I don't even know where I'm staying that night. And I was just dropped off in the city. I got to figure out where I'm going to, where I'm going to sleep, what, where I am, how am I going to get like settled somewhere safe? Like, yes. But beyond that, with the context of the question, I'm going to stop and I'm going to listen. Coming full circle to the beginning of this, I'm going to stop and I'm going to listen because there's a reason that I'm there in that situation. Something led me here and I believe that I'm on the path of my highest vision. So what is here for me? What, why am I here? What is it that I'm meant to do? What am I here to learn and pay attention to all of the emotions going on? I was literally just last night in this challenging emotional situation. And what I did was I stretched my body. I moved my body just for a little bit. And then I just sat and stillness. And I just paid attention to what was happening in my body. I paid attention to the emotional storm that was happening inside myself. And I went, okay, you can't really make a rational decision right now. There's too much going on. So just breathe, just breathe and just wait, see what happens. And that was something that I've developed the ability to do from all of those hours and hours and hours and hours when I was facing off with my depression, where I would sit and I would just pay attention to how much it's the feeling. I don't know if you've gone through depression, but it's like your skin is crawling. It's like your skin is crawling and you sit in stillness and it's like you, you literally, it's like your soul is screaming from inside your body yeah. and the ability to just sit in that, just sit in it and not run from it means I can do this. And so in a moment, like last night, just sit and I say, I, you're going to pass. You're going to pass. And because I'm not running from you, you have no power over me. And I just sit in it. And here I am. Okay. And then I went to bed and I woke up feeling way better. And so I think that for me, I would sit and, and, and let those emotions and those fears and everything just sort of pass mm. and, and arrive in a moment of clarity, even if it's just in that fraction of a second where I can feel it. It's like, oh, okay, here's the next step. Mm-hmm. Here's what to do now. And then I would take that action. As soon as I know what that choice is, I take the action immediately. As soon as I know what the choice is, I take the action. I love it. I love it. I think, Adam, before we transition into the a few questions here that some of the guys have submitted first and foremost, an incredible amount of wisdom. Thank you for being here. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for providing the value that you have and engaging in such a conversation. I know you have a lot going on with the create community right now and what you guys do. And I'd love you to share what, what's coming up. Man, there's so much coming up. <laughs> there's so <laughs> much coming up. I'm going to just rapid fire. Uh, you can find a lot of these things at adamroa.com or on my social media platforms, adam.roa on Instagram and then adamroa on Facebook, YouTube, all of the places. I have two podcasts now. By the time this comes out, I have two podcasts out. One is called The Deep Dive with Adam Roa. One is called You're Too Much, which I co-host with Taylor Simpson. And we uh, go into too much topics. It's very, very different in feel. It's like some edgy, edgy content, <laughs> um, like really edgy content, um, but it's raw and it's, it's powerful. Um, and then I have 
uh, a lot of places that you can work with me specifically. Um, the create community, thecreatecommunity.com is my online personal development community. That is the place for really inexpensive, um, but high value. The whole concept of that is how do I bring people who normally charge 10,000 plus dollars for their coaching in for a community that costs less than a hundred dollars a month. Like, how do I do that? Yeah. And so that's the create community. Um, I have just formed my partnership with leaders, create leaders, uh, where we have a mastermind helping six figure entrepreneurs get to seven figures. And, um, that is, that is now live. We actually are launching the first month of that is starting next month as well. So a lot of it is coming together and I'll be doing a few retreats this year. So, yeah, all of the things, man. <laughs> Lots of things. <laughs> all of the things. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Guys, I have not ventured yet into the Create community, but I've been following from afar Adam's content. I've been following from afar what he puts out. I've been following from afar the Deep Dive podcast. There is nothing short of incredible in the work and in the depth at which they're willing and he is willing to go. So if you have any inkling, jump in in any way you can, whether you have $100 or $10,000. Take a risk, take a leap, do it. Adam, we're going to transition now briefly into, there's five questions here. We take five every week um, that some of the guys have submitted. And so your honest answers, um, as short or as long as you feel, um, would be amazing. So I'm going to read the five questions out and then we're going to circle back and go first one. All right. So the first one's from Xander. He's 23 from Washington. He said, there's so many things I am choosing not to do because I just have no confidence. How can I build my confidence so that I can make decisions that are for me and live my best life? Jonathan, he's 26 from Southern California. He said, I feel like I've been lying to everybody about who I am and I've only just come to this realization. I want to change, but I feel like it will be weird if I just all of a sudden become a different person. What should I do? Anonymous, this one. This guy didn't want to put his name. We allow people to submit. I can't stop. We talked about porn before. I can't stop watching porn. It's gotten to the point where I don't even want to do it, but I do it anyway. How can I stop? Fourth one, another anonymous one. Is smoking weed bad for me? I've been told it's good. I've been told it's bad. And now I just feel guilty when I smoke. Last question. Bradley, he's 21. He's from the UK. He said, I'm not in school anymore and I'm working a job I don't want to be working at, but I don't know what my true passion is. I need help finding it. There has to be more to life than this. Thanks. What was his name? Bradley. 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 Go out and experience life. To hear the full answer to that question, as well as all the other answers to the questions I asked our guest today, head over to billygartonjr.com. Scroll down to the section that reads, are you looking for a place to figure it all out? Click on the button that reads, count me in, fill out the information, and a member of my team will be sure to reach out to get you involved in the You Choose Brotherhood. Boy, will this brotherhood change your life. Community and connection meets courageous conversation monthly mastermind calls, bi-monthly brotherhood check-ins, mini courses, and answers to some of your life's greatest questions. We have it all in here. Head over to billygartonjr.com. Scroll down to the section that reads, are you looking for a place to figure it all out? 
Click on the button that reads count me in, fill out the information, and a member of my team will be sure to reach out. Super excited to see you there. Adam, thank you so much, honestly, from the bottom of my heart and everybody else listening. I think I speak on behalf of everybody to say, when I say that you uh, you provided so many incredible nuggets there for, for the audience to listen to. And so thank you for being here. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being and for living the experience of, of everything that you speak into. To everybody else, you know where to find me, a Billy Garton Jr. on every single platform. The podcast has had a rebrand, as you know by now, the You Choose podcast, which is also the You Choose movement. The YouChooseMovement.com is where you can find the community. By the time this podcast comes out, there will be a complete upgrade and up-level of all of the things. Um, and I want you always to remember that you do have a choice in this life. All of these things that you're sitting with, that you're stuck with, that you're forgetting, it's your choice. Lean into those decisions, lean into you and, and choose you. Thank you for tuning in and we will, we'll see you next week.